Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. To start off with, we're joined by our panel to discuss some of the stories in this morning's newspapers, review the past week and preview the next week. On one side of the table is a political journalist and columnist with the Irish Examiner. Always a pleasure to welcome to News Talk Studios, Alison O'Connor. And I was interested to see she, in the press conference that Leo held in the Mansion House, uh, she asked the question about maturing, um, which led me thinking, I thought she was so much younger than Leo. You know, Ivan, the compliments are so few and far between. I should just leave now before things start to go downhill. (laughs) Uh, Also on our stellar panel, alongside her, is the author and professor of modern history at UCD, Dermot Ferrisher. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Dermot, um, you know, people think when they eat their lunch now and take a selfie with it that this moment is historic. We've heard that over the last few days. Is it really? It's a word thrown about like confetti. Let's call it historic with a small H. Okay, we'll go with that. And also joining us is the legendary entrepreneur, businessman, long-standing judge on Dragon's Den, and now fresh from his recent stint as moderator of the Leo and Simon show at the four uh, hustings debates around the country. I am disgusted that Gavin Duffy is not wearing his three-piece suit that he had uh, on those occasions. How do you plead? I plead. They say you should always match host and as you're normally shabbily dressed as you are this morning <laughs> I, 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 I didn't okay. just dress down I slummed down I'll, your shirt, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take that sharp kick in the ass uh, in the way it's intended well let's just uh, scan through the front pages of the Sunday Independence all of them of course have eight minutes past ten last night another horrific uh, terror rampage in London there are photographs only on the front pages of the papers, we'll be coming to that shortly the Sunday Independent leads with Radker's new order, demands grow to sack Simon Harris justice department to be split into a home affairs department uh, with two ministers, Pascal Donoghue to run the two finance and public expenditure ministries lots of fantasy cabinet stuff in the papers the Sunday Business Post uh, well, they've a, a strap lead about Leo. Their main lead is fears for homeowners as AI begins, AIB begins bad loan clear out. This is, of course, in advance of the IPO. Um, the Sunday Times goes with Radger urged to rein in his spending plans. This is a kind of final repast from the incumbent Minister for Finance, Michael Noonan, uh, saying a cautionary note in relation to spending promises. And the Irish Mail on Sunday, who's actually been across this story as an investigative exclusive, uh, goes further. St John of God's chief's secret two million payments. They allege um, the windfall as charity hides truth from HSE and I'm sure there'll be lots more about that. Well, of course, uh, I was watching the Champions League final last night and just flicking around, and I have a daughter living in London, and I was horrified to see the uh, scenes on Sky News as the breaking story emerged. It now transpires that seven people are dead. Let's take a listen to the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, speaking outside 10 Downing Street just a few moments ago. This is, as we all know, the third terrorist attack Britain has experienced in the last three months. In March, a similar attack took place just around the corner on Westminster Bridge. Two weeks ago, the Manchester Arena was attacked by a suicide bomber. 
and now London has been struck once more. And at the same time, the security and intelligence agencies and police have disrupted five credible plots since the Westminster attack in March. In terms of their planning and execution, the recent attacks are not connected. But we believe we are experiencing a new trend in the threat we face, as terrorism breeds terrorism, and perpetrators are inspired to attack, not only on the basis of carefully constructed plots after years of planning and training, and not even as lone attackers radicalised online, but by copying one another and often using the crudest of means of attack. Theresa May revealing uh, new news about five disrupted plots since uh, uh, March, the last Westminster attack. We're joined on the line by, uh, from London City by Robert Fox, the Defence and Security Editor of the London Evening Standard. Um, Robert, what's the mood like in London? Is, is fear starting to take a grip? I think there's... Um as it was put so well this morning by somebody standing just at the site of the of the of the terrible deeds, is that is this going to be a new normal? There is um, in this even more than in Manchester, there is a bit of a pattern emerging. Uh, this drive-by driving into pa- uh, people, which we saw as Prime Minister said on Westminster Bridge at the end of March, uh, the uh, Christmas market in uh, Berlin at the end of last year, and then the big horrendous Nice uh, um, Bastille Day uh, attack. And what has been said by the experts, which I think is chilling and is being accepted by Londoners, is that these things are very, very hard to predict as to when, you know, somebody is going to get into a van or a car or a truck and, and, and just, just go and do this. And I think everybody is holding steady. The script has been absolutely brilliantly orchestrated um, um, th- this morning. I don't mean to say there was collusion, but from Sadiq Khan, um, the mayor of London, who is a Muslim, which, uh, and Labour, and Theresa May, Conservative, the Prime Minister, and Clarissa Dick, the new head of the Metropolitan Police Force, the first woman to do so, absolutely pitching it right in, you know, from a consumer's point of view, saying, look, this is deadly serious. And it's it, it's not stay calm. It is you know do listen and uh, do listen or do watch what the Metropolitan Police anti-terror has been putting out on tweets. Okay, if it can't be prevented in terms of the response from the security forces, it did seem to be exemplary. Yes, but um, that's where the big the the question is not the immediate question. And by the way, something immediately. Uh, can you do this? It negatively um, has been done terribly well. We've had no silly leaks from the US and other places about who these guys are, because without a shadow of doubt, uh, the Metropolitan Police, and more particularly the City of London, anti-terror force, which leads a lot of counterintelligence, counterterrorism intelligence in this country, will know for sure who they are. There's not a peep of their identity. And we're now 12 hours out. Finally, Robert, um, the lowering from critical to severe, the security status given, you know, what happened in the Manchester arena. um, Is that a question? No, it's terribly important. And this is where guys like you and me really come into picture. 
What happened in Manchester was that they found a terror network with active materiel, bomb kit, that could be got, gone off and be used. And for days, they couldn't work out whether somebody was running around with this stuff and was about to let it off. And that was very important. It doesn't seem to be similar here. But just to add a little uh, add-on, it's far from a footnote, we are going to be hearing a lot about resilience, national resilience, how we assess these things, and whether we've got the right balance of forces. And I think that that's where there is a, a weakness that really will be addressed. And it's been on Mrs. May's watch as Interior Home Secretary, Interior Minister, before. We're going to need more police. We're going to need more reserve forces. Uh, just at the point when they're discussing running the British Army down to 65,000. I think that'll be off the agenda by the end of this month. Robert Fox, Defence and Security Editor with the London Evening Standard. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Uh, Dermot Ferriter, reference there to the new normal. Um, We've seen from Bataclan to Stockholm, uh, this is uh, now more frequent. What, what, what way are the public to respond? It's a terrifying new wave. Um, it's not new in the sense that, you know, major urban centres have been afflicted by terrorism for, for, for decades. There have been different cycles of terrorism uh, relating to different issues. Uh, but this is very distressing. It's terrifying and it's barbaric. And we all know people in London. Uh, it's very close to home. Um, this issue of policing and, you know, drowning London, London in, in, in police, um, can that really solve this problem? I mean, it's... Um, if you put a city like London in, into lockdown, even if that was feasible, can you prevent these kind of attacks? Is I don't it know if you can. To the public, I'm sure it is. Of course it is. And that presence is very important. But, you know, such is the nature of these attacks that it's impossible, I would think, for p- policing to be... Are you saying that a a police state isn't the answer? But when I'm thinking, someone goes out on a Saturday uh, night for a meal and and three people come in with knives and start killing people in Mm. front of them, like, I, I'd like to have police yeah. around the and place. It's actually, and I, I was in Brussels recently in a different place, and you see these people yeah. going around with, with machine guns. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting for a moment, you know, that, of, of course, your policing is a huge part uh, of the response. But obviously intelligence work, ultimately, if it is going to be, uh, if this terrorism is going to be countered, it's going to be done through uh, effective intelligence work, which involves a very complicated networking. Uh, and, of course, there are, pitfalls to that which were alluded to there in, in, in relation to um, relationships with the United States and so on. But, you know, in relation to the uh, London, what it represents and it's... The cosmopolitan it's, it's, nature yeah, of and, it, yeah. and, a, and a huge city for tourism. Um, and what you are beginning to see now is that there are a number of areas which are going to be identified as no-go areas. And for a city like London, that's a really, really serious development. Um Alison O'Connor, beyond the sort of politics of the latest atrocity, the shock and anguish and fear, do you think this will feed into the political situation in the UK? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I was just thinking about that, actually, as you were talking to Dermot, in that isn't it fascinating that, like, previously, if this was an election two years ago, you, one of your first thoughts, if it was a campaign and there was an attack like this, one of your first thoughts would be, how will this feed into the election? But in a way, it shows the. You, I would hesitate to use the word commonplace, but that um, they have become more more regular, almost powerless, almost powerless. And you're not immediately thinking, how will this feed into the election? I think there has been a, a part of the campaign. I think has been a realization maybe by people that the the current sort of approach isn't working. 
and maybe people are paying a little bit more attention to what Jeremy Corbyn has to say, his differing views on on, on these things and, and how they might be approached. I mean, I suppose for me, you know, personally on this, when I hear this, particularly with the Manchester thing, I think it brought home to so many Irish people because we identify. So, you know, Manchester seems like Dublin. So many people could identify with dropping kids off at concerts and all of that. And even chatting to the taxi driver on the way in this morning at the end of the conversation, he said, and she, we can just hope it won't happen here. And that's the way everyone is thinking. And what it makes me want to do really is just stay home. Like my kids, I'm under a sustained campaign at the moment. We are to go to Disneyland. In Paris or in, Paris, in America? In Paris. Yes, yeah. And I love Paris. Was married there. It's my yeah. favourite city. Okay. And I would. I never suspected you as a romantic. I wouldn't but wish on, to yeah. go to Paris now at all. I'm just too afraid. Yeah. But then I don't want to tell them that because I don't want to make them afraid of travel and adventure and and new. But their sense of it is is, is sorry, are you more afraid or they're more? Oh, afraid? they're not at all. Oh, right, That's right. my point. Yes, I yeah. don't want to to communicate to them. So I'm just giving that parental sort of non-committal. As we'll see and we'll talk about it and all of that. I would be horrified to be passing on my own fears to them. But that's exactly where where it's where it's coming from. Gavin, you v- visit London a lot. Um, your your, your re- reaction to it, but also it struck me, uh, and and this will sound racist, right? But that you know, Ramadan is on at the moment, and I heard someone saying, "Look, there's heightened uh, uh, tension in relation to that." But it did strike me in Manchester the overwhelming reaction of unity when it, it kind of wouldn't be unreasonable given, you know, that these are radicalised Islamists that there wouldn't be some racial tension, no? Yeah, but I, well, certainly viewed from an Irish perspective, we look at these things differently because when we had IRA bombing campaigns on this island and in Britain, uh, we uh, used to get very offended when there would be a generalisation made about all Irish people or all Catholic people or all nationalist people. Uh, and I think the people of Manchester are to be congratulated for the maturity with which uh, they dealt with the uh, horror of what happened uh, at the uh, at the concert. And of course, that's the whole idea of terrorism. It is to horrify us. Um, and this was an atrocity because children uh, were attacked. I, I don't know how I say this, but like you, I was watching uh, Champions League football last night. And then this comes on our TV screens and, and I'm watching it. And part of me was relieved it wasn't a bomb. I was very concerned when uh, Salman Abedi, you know, that they now, these terrorists, had the means to uh, sort of, you know, And you can only imagine with three suicide bombers how many people, correct, given correct. that they were prepared were to lose their lives. And also the suicide nature of, of this, and of course we have that in our tradition as well with hunger strikers uh, and so on. But this is what happened on London Bridge last night. The terrifying thing about it is it is undetectable. I don't think you can police against it, right? But I do want people to keep a sense of perspective on it. The numbers won't be big. But, uh, you know, if we go back to the the, the uh, IRA bombing campaigns, when was it, 84? You know, but if you have somebody like a Patrick McGee who can uh, use a, an explosive like Franjex, which is a wet gel ignite, knowing that there'll be sniffer dogs in that hotel to blow up, uh, well, the target was the Mrs. Thatcher in, in, in Brighton. Like, that's a level of sophistication that ISIS aren't showing yet. So please don't think I'm being complacent, but 
when I hear of people running around with knives or machetes, um, yes, it's primitive. Would, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah. no, no, but but it's a, the, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful it's so unsophisticated, and I believe it can be dealt with. There's two things that I think need to be done. First of all. You know, I used to be so frustrated that Britain didn't ever try to understand the psyche of uh, an IRA terrorist, uh, etc. And I don't know why we don't try to engage more with, you know, where are these radicalized young men usually coming from? And, you know, we were shocked and abhorred that children were blown up at a concert. And yet, I don't give a second thought to a bomb landing in Syria. And, and I, I hear or I read, oh, there was collateral damage. A lot of children died in a hospital. But if you were the person who went, up, went in and picked up those pieces of children uh, to bring to an ambulance, uh, you know, I, I, and please, you know, not for one moment am I justifying it, but I'm just trying to put a context on it that we in this part of the world don't seem to care what happens no, over I, there. I agree you with know. you on that you in know. terms of if, if you're so trying... it's our fault. No, it? not at all. That if you're trying to look at, you know, how can we fix this? How can we try and do something whereby this doesn't doesn't happen or we can reduce it? Certainly at its most basic, which Gavin has just said, is that in our in our minds, in our Western minds, the the children horrendously and horrifically killed at that concert, which we could also identify with, are of a far higher value than the children in Syria. Now, there's the element of human nature here. Syria is very far away. We don't know those children. Um, you know, so many people have lost their lives in Syria. You almost become numb to it. But you have to see the message that that is sending but, but, out, that that is sending out to to the, to but, the Muslim but community. Can I, can I sort of say 9-11 happened before anyone got bombed in Syria? No, that's true. Look, the important point I think that's been made here is that this is part of a much, much, much bigger problem. And even if you look at the recent Manchester bombing, when you dig into the backstory of that bomber and the Libya uh, Mm, and what was going on there and and the power vacuum that was left there and so on and the consequences of the decisions that have been made by Britain and the United States in particular in relation to where they wage their wars. So it is part of that bigger, bigger narrative. What's interesting in terms of the Brits responding to this kind of thing is that they do it very well. Uh, and they are resilient, you know, they're not cliches, they also have a chance to emphasise how proud they are of how cosmopolitan London is. That's the way London was built. Uh, And we've been a part of that story too. So for all the focus on the Brexit uh, narrative uh, and the idea of of, of a rejection of multiculturalism, Mm. um, it's still a very, very important part of Manchester's identity, of London's identity, and that will come to the fore. Now let's get our teeth into domestic politics. Alison O'Connor, Dermot Farsher and Gavin Duffy are with us. Alison, if I could start with you. Okay, the contest is done. Uh, The fantasy cabinet can await a week because he won't be Taoiseach until Tuesday week. Where are, where are we at now in terms of the changing of the guard, the timing of the next election, the impact on the body politic? Well, first of all, Ivan, I think it's a massive changing of the guard, generational change. You could say that it's in, in terms of um, political leadership. It's two generations. It's gone down two generations. Um, so that alone puts a very different look on it. Um, and I, for me, the the election of Leo Varadkar on Friday did signal, you know, something really new and exciting for the country in terms of his, Leo addressed it himself in his speech. I thought he did that very well. And actually quite remarkably for a politician, a brief speech and, and, and a good one. So you remembered what he said rather than a load of waffle before and after it. And when he went to give his press conference about an hour later, he said, you know, I gave the speech earlier, so we'll go straight to the Q&A. 
And I thought, if this is the new broom, fantastic. But I, so I think that, you know, sometimes when you're inside the bubble, you don't realise these things. I, I thought it was a very significant day for Irish society. Now, how significantly different is Leo going to be as a leader? That we don't know. The question that remains about him is, what is the substance there? You know, there was a lot of talk by his supporters during the campaign of all the things he had achieved. And to some extent, there was a lot of clutching at straws with, with, with some of those things that he may have come into in the middle of or that. So we really don't know how he's going to be at the job of Taoiseach, the competing demands, the 24-7 nature of it, particularly the glad handling aspect, which isn't really part of his personality at all, although he has worked on that. Uh, you mentioned earlier the question that I asked him. I said to him that during the campaign, a number of the people who were supporting him, including cabinet colleagues, would have said, you know, Leo has changed a lot in the last year or two. And a lot of them would have used the word matured. And isn't that fascinating that we now have a Taoiseach at 38 who his colleagues are saying that only in the last year or two he's changed a lot and he's really matured. So I'm thinking this is a man who's on a continuum and he doesn't appear yet to have reached his destination. And that's going to happen while he's Taoiseach. So that alone is fascinating on on, on a level of human nature. On on the question, you know, when he opened up his pitch, Mm. those who get up early in the morning, and the whole nature of, you know, and I would have thought from a Fine Gael perspective, uh, you know, there's two million people at work, there's one and a half million of them are private sector workers, Mm. there's a lot of self-employed people. Income tax has gone from... 20, uh, from 12 to, to 19 a million on the same number of people who work between now and 2008 uh, and the same level of income. Like, there's a constituency there. He does seem to have spent every minute since then rowing back from that. So, yeah. do, you, do you think he is a right-of-centre leader who will redefine the centre? Yeah. Or do you think he'll just be like any other leader but just see, read the marketing blur? It kind of doesn't matter that he spent the time rowing back from that because that is now what, that's his soundbite of the campaign. End of story. Um, of course, uh, Sinn Féin and the left are going to try and portray him now to, the, to being to the right of Attila the Hun. But we don't know. We just don't know how right-wing he's going to be. Again, if he had been elected 10 years ago, you know, it would have been an exceptionally different Leo Varadkar to what we're, we're getting today. So it comes back to what I was saying earlier about that continuum. I'm not quite sure where he's at and, and where he's going to pitch it. Um, but I know that, you know, the, the, I suppose there's nobody else occupying that space in, in, in Irish like politics. Like there's no PDs. So there's no, no PDs. No. Well, just on that, you sat through three or four hours for four nights. <clears throat> Irrespective now, because we've gone past the contest. What insights did you get, Gavin Duffy, into into Leo? Is that, what is the authentic Leo? Because we know, like someone said to me, I wasn't at any of them, but he said, he, he was really sharp, really concise on the Q&A. He took one sentence to say sometimes what Simon took three sentences to. And I think that's the same point that Alison was addressing there, that his mind moves quite, you know, quickly. He's bright, but a guy. But what does he really stand for, do you think? Well, I think it's not what he stands for. Uh, we'll learn very quickly what his leadership qualities really are, because if you're to look at Fine Gael, uh, I think uh, the 2011-2016, uh, if you were following, an austerity program was uh, for the country and the recovery we had, even though austerity hit people very hard, was a good government. The current government is a shambles. And so you've had this wonderful, um, you know, from a Fine Gael perspective, uh, a 
election uh, that re-energized the party. Um, two excellent candidates. It was almost like trying to pick between Tony Ward and Ollie Campbell years ago. I mean, that two very capable people come along. If I was to be very frank and say the thing that you know, I was really taken aback at, uh, and I don't want to say Leo's intellect, but I don't think I've ever shared a platform with somebody who is, I suppose in communication terms, so tight and right. This was a huge problem for me moderating. So right uh, being correct or no, right no, being no, right correct. wing? Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Tight, tight, being able to make his point in in the most succinctly. wonderful, yeah, succinct soundbite. But you know, you have to have a command of your brief that has to be exceptional to be able to do that. So we are just very fortunate to have the leader of our country with somebody who uh, I think could uh, sit down with anybody and uh, discuss. But is he debate. a rabid right winger behind all that sharpness? Nobody uh, knows. Uh, no, 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 nobody knows. If we could have got into that debate, and remember, there was eight hours of the hostings, uh, you know, but there were questions from uh, the, the the party membership. It was fascinating, I suppose, if we want to sort of, you know, for a moment look at it. You had, uh, you know, Simon Coveney in a classic Jesuitical men for others. You know, I'm privileged, but I want to look after... Patrician. Uh, every, everybody. Okay. Yeah, you, you know, Leo was very much uh, sort of, you know, and, you know uh, I know there was questions, are they elite? So, uh, you know, let, let's call a spade a spade. Well, they are middle class. Let's well, more, more middle class. Yeah, okay, Congos, yeah. you know, yeah, and then absolutely. King's Hoss, right? And what you had there was, uh, and I, I don't want to go into faith, but, you know, that sort of King's Hoss tradition, I'm proud of my background, I'm proud of my faith, whatever it may be, or none. Uh, I stand for what I am, etc. And therefore, I don't think Leo is vote harvesting for a certain segment. It's just that, you know, yes, I'm gay. Uh, yes, uh, I, I'm young. Uh, yes, I'm proud of what I stand for. Yes, I'm an immigrant. And take me as I am. And I think that's that's uh, refreshing. Now, I, I mean, I would disagree with Alison about the, the rowing back. I mean, he comes out with this line, obviously, this was mm. the soundbite of the campaign about mm. people who get up early in the morning. And then he qualifies it to the extent that it becomes meaningless. Sorry, he's, he's sorry just to, I, ju- I meant more that that's what people heard. Oh, absolutely. It does raise this question, is, oh, well, do you believe that or do you not believe it? And mm-hmm. why do you keep qualifying it? What do you think? If you are trading on the idea that you are an independent thinker who says things other people mm-hmm. uh, are afraid to say, uh, oh, I think he was playing it very, very safe. Um, and it, it comes back to this question of what Fine Gael is. You know, this uh, invocation of the just society. I mean, did that ever work for Fine Gael? Does that represent something that was a lost opportunity? Uh, was, you know, was Patrick or was Coveney deliberately uh, trying to suggest that uh, Leo stood for only one section? All of this will come back to the issue of whether or not Leo is going to be an ideologue. Or is he going to continue the tradition of Fianna Gael being what? A centrist party in the same way that Fianna Fáil is a centrist party? If it is a centrist party, it contains centre-left and centre-right. He's clearly on the centre-right. There are a lot of people who work in the public sector who are very concerned, for example, about what he had to say about trade unions and striking. Um, And there are various things that you can rake over now that he has said at various stages of his short career that would suggest he is right. In in a more internationalist uh, context... He went over to Macron's yeah. uh, gig uh, in Paris uh, he, 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 and Macron sets himself out as pro, pro-globalisation but taking the best of right and left yeah, in a kind of modernity. Yeah. Do, you, do you see that as a pitch for Leo? No, there is a bit of that. And I mean, Macron, uh, you know, he was very important because he wasn't Marine Le Pen. Um, and, and a lot of people abstained. Yeah. As well, yeah. Um, yeah. But if, if you look very closely at the interviews he did, 
during the campaign. He was being extraordinarily careful. You know, he was ticking boxes uh, and he was not taking a particularly strong line. Uh, yes, Europe, but that was full of qualifications as well, you know. There is a bit of that going on. I think Leo's in... Like, the first thing you want to do is wish him well. This is a big deal and he needs the time, obviously, whether he'll get it is another thing, uh, to try and, and prove himself. He has a lot to prove. I think he's in for a rude awakening. If you consider this issue in modern this politics... This is as good as it gets this no, weekend. If, if, if you, mm-hmm. Yes, if you consider modern politics and the extent to which presentation can triumph over substance, he's very much a part of that era of politics, you know, and the way he's grown up in politics, it's been very much okay, in the social well, media. Joined, very, very clever at all that. We're going to have more on the panel on what next and Leo's intray, but Finney McGrath is uh, obviously a TD for Dublin Bay North, but he is part of the Cabinet in terms of Minister of State for Disability Issues. And the Independent Alliance will, of course, be the first port of call that Leo has to look at. Uh, welcome to the programme, Finian. Is there something on your shopping list with the Independent Alliance? You have a programme for government. It's one year on. Are you just happy to endorse that and to have business as usual, uh, as per Enda Kenny, or are you looking for changes? Uh, good morning, Ivan, and to your panel as well and all your listeners. Can I say, just, it's a lovely fresh morning here on the north side of Dublin, and hopefully in the next week or two we're going to have a fresh new cabinet as well, because <clears throat> that's something we in the Independent Alliance are looking, for, are looking forward to. Can I also say, like some of your panellists there, I'd like to congratulate Leo and his family, and his partner for for their for his fantastic achievement. I want to wish them well in the future. Now, in relation to the Independent Alliance, I've worked with Leo for the last 12 months, particularly in my portfolio on, on disabilities, and particularly in relation to social protection. And I've got uh, I've found him very very easy to work with. He's very I have a very good and honest relationship with him. Of course, he's a different uh, political persuasion from myself. But if politicians can't do business with people from different backgrounds, they shouldn't be involved in politics in the first place. And so, my question was, and my yes. question was, are you looking for any changes to the programme for government? Well, essentially, what we'll be doing is <clears throat> we will be looking for priorities within the programme for government, uh, Ivan, in relation to pushing these forward. Because, as you know, over the last number of weeks, things were gone a little bit quiet. So what we're saying, the Independence Alliance are saying that we need to put the focus now on priority issues within the programme for government. And, of course, as you all know, we all have our own particular priorities. So what are those specifics? Well, of course, in my area, it'll be health and disability and services uh, uh, issues like that. I know that from Boxer and Sean Kenny, they were pushing small businesses, flooding and rural issues. And, you know, Shane is pushing uh, in relation to reform of the judicial system and developing transport services. And John Halligan in relation to issues on education and small business. Well, just on John Halligan, my memory is sufficiently long to remember the spat over Ard Keane, you know, and Leo and all that kind of stuff. Is there a little bit of bad blood there? Uh, no, that, the, all those differences were were put away many, many months ago because... Now that he's Taoiseach. I beg your pardon? <laughs> now that he's going to be Taoiseach. I know, but the, 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 the relationship between the Independent Alliance and Leo Riker is very, very solid because he's always been very straight, very upfront. Of course, we've had differences, but as I said before, I spent 12 months working with him on the carers, on the, the make and work pay for people with disabilities, on the restoration of the care of the carers grant, 
and also on the wage subsidy schemes. And I found it very, very supportive. And my colleagues in the Independent Alliance will be the same way. But of course, we want to focus on the important issues in relation to what's in the programme for government and we need to improve and up our game in relation to these services. So, so just so that I have this right, Leo said he yeah. wouldn't be negoci- renegotiating with Fianna Fáil on the supply and confidence. You're not looking for any uh, no. renegotiation of the independence. It's just expediting certain things. Yeah, it's just basically, we, we've, we've negotiated the programme 12 months ago. We're all very, very happy with it. It's a very, uh, a very important, good programme in relation to the issues that I've talked about earlier on. But the bottom line is I, we just want to ensure that we start implementing more of these issues. We've started some of the work, and I don't buy the argument, by the way, as some of your panellists earlier on there about can do, uh, can do nothing government. We are working away for the last 12 months. I, I, we have managed to do a lot of good things in government, and what we need to do now is just to put more focus on other prior, uh, priority issues in the programme for government. And you and Shane Ross, have you diaried an appointment to meet him, or what's happening? Not at the moment. I, I will probably we will be probably meeting him. I'd say this week, but at the moment there's no official date set for the timing. We want to meet the Independence Alliance says We want to meet ourselves, have a chat about a few different things, and so that when we when we meet uh, the uh, Leo, that we'll 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 have a kind of a, a coordinated approach, and also we'll plan our, uh, put our priorities on the table. And so, uh, finally, before I let you go, um, you'd be trying to dissuade him from cutting and running to the country in the autumn. <laughs> I, Ivan, I'm actually, I know you're all cynical out in news talk and all that stuff, but... No, I don't need I, to be in news talk to be cynical. I've been that way for a while. Yeah, carry on, yeah. I was ta- actually, I was talking to Leo twice during the week there, during all the hype, and he's given me the commitment, absolutely. He's looking forward to, he's looking forward to work on the independent lines for at least the next two years, and I'm very, very satisfied that we'll do our best to get the three years and implement the programme for government. Minister for Disabilities, uh, Finian McGrath, TD for Dublin Bay North, thank you for joining us and we await progress on that. Gavin, you want to come in there? Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, Finian points out that you know this government has been working well. The distraction of whether the Taoiseach and Kenny, as he was, was uh, or was going to resign or not, that takes the eye off the ball. And uh, unfortunately, and you're going to be talking to Michael O'Flynn later in the program. Um, when you, you know, engineering a recovery is one thing, but unless you manage. Uh, the economy beyond that uh, and start reinvesting and and targeting certain infrastructural projects, most notably housing, uh, uh, you know, whatever gains people have had from the recovery are wiped out by, um, uh, you know, skyrocketing rents, you know. So so that's when I say that, uh, you know, this has been a poor government and therefore, yes, as uh, Dermot was saying, it's going to be a very short-lived honeymoon for for Leo Varadkar. But I think he's going to be, if if you're asking me to call it, I think he's going to be a proactive Leader. Well, he's going uh, to have to be very careful that what happened to Brian Cowan doesn't happen to him. Because when Brian Cowan came in, he was heralded... Well, the roof did fall in. He though. was heralded as being a very, very gifted politician, very um, gifted intellect. He wasn't able... Of course there was... Uh, there was national no, insolvency. No, oh, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't just that. Yeah. It was also... It's, it, it's this question, and Enda Kenny raised it when he was departing, when he talked about the need for optimism. It's also about how you handle people, how you manage people. And if you look at what the job of Taoiseach is, 
in the modern era. It's mm. not necessarily about initiating Chairman uh, or Chief policies. Executive. Well, I mean, a lot of it is about chairing meetings. Yeah. It's about handling... Getting decisions. And, and in this era of minority governments, minority coalition governments, it's about, you know, Glad being able to deal yeah. with that. Um, that's a big part of the job. And, you know, Brian Cowan really struggled with that side of it, despite all his I gifts, take I take you know. it, but let's talk about action and reaction. Does this mean that Gerry Adams might be replaced by Mary Lou sooner? And how will Fianna Fáil respond, given that we are now on the countdown, mm. whenever it is, to the next election, Alison? Yeah, I mean, well, look, Gerry Adams has already signalled that he's on the way out, as it were, and that, uh, that uh, as I mean, I've heard Mary Lou say there will be a competition that she would welcome one. I think the Sinn Féin relies how much they were in the back foot in the way that they appointed Michelle O'Neill, which was quite extraordinary, really. Um, so, yes, and as we know, Mary Lou is an exceptionally able doll performer. So that would be somebody up against um, up against Leo. Uh, I think that while we've had a lot of at the press conference on Friday, Leo Vradker was very keen to say, "Look, I'll be talking to Fianna Fáil. All will continue as it were." He had this lovely line about he was being asked about the independence, Fianna Fáil, future coalition, where he said, "If you're if you're in the middle of a waltz or a tango with someone else, you don't start looking over their shoulder to see who your next partner is going to be. You know that it would be rude." And so you're dancing. Yeah, with and I, it left me thinking. I wonder, can he tango? But it, um, That's a double, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the, the fact is, there's a new Taoiseach. A, a couple of weeks ago, a Fianna Fáilor used the word to me that about the agreement. A recalibration was the word that they used. And, I mean, it wouldn't be politics unless Fianna Fáil tried to get something, unless uh, the independent, like Finian, I had to laugh, Finian said at the start there, but he was looking forward to a fresh new cabinet. And you're thinking, fresh as long as we're the old, the independent alliance are the same old faces that are sitting course, around it. Boxer and Kenny are going to swap places. They are, yeah. yeah. But there's go, I mean, look, there'll be all sorts of jostling. Of course there will be. And it'll even be that thing, I mean, the most fascinating will be between Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin as they both try and establish and their own, their own su- supremacy. What and is Michal dilemma? has a, dilemma. Is is a serious dilemma what because dilemma? you have an issue now where, of course... Surely he can point to his own experience. Yeah, he has of course, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin are going to say Leo is a Tory. You know, we represent yeah. something very yeah. different and more compassionate yeah. okay. and more left. That's one side of it. The other side of it is Fianna Gael may well get a little bounce now which means Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are pretty much in the same place in terms of their poll numbers. They're both on roughly, you know, mm. late well, in the election, they were both 24, yeah, 25. And, I mean, that, you know, that's a dilemma for, for Michal Martin because it doesn't really radically shift the arithmetic to the extent that he can decide a good strategy now would be to pull the plug on this because we have a chance of... of same applies for party. Leo, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, well, I, I suppose they both have a dilemma. Mm. But the bigger concern, Michal Martin, first and foremost, is looking at Sinn Féin and has been looking at Sinn Féin with the view to that vote and the extent to which it has the potential to, to eat the, the same vote that he is after. Uh, that's one of the dilemmas he has about whether his focus should be on Leo or his focus should be on Mary Lou. Um, and I was speaking to some Fianna Fáil strategists during the week and I got the clear impression their targets get 60 seats in the next mm. election. They regard Mary Lou as being dragged to the left by Solidarity and other. Their clear cockpit battleground is with FG for the hearts and minds of Middle Ireland. Yeah, but yeah. if you if you look at Hall Martin's track record, uh, his most vociferous words have been for Sinn Féin. A visceral, you know, against them. Yeah, and Michal Martin is all... This is where the generational change, I think, is interesting. Michal Martin, I think, is always going to be somewhat handicapped by the fact that he was a part of that disastrous period. Of the Ahern. Yeah, but he also really cannot do. afford to speak in visceral terms against 
Fine Gael and what was Andy Kenny because they have this confidence and supply agreement. So, is, so policies, you're being, yeah, you're hamstrung by that. But it's not just... Ga- the Gavin, just on the question yeah. of, you know, it's bad enough when the guards are younger than you, but yes. when your Taoiseach is considerably <laughs> 20 years younger than you, how, how will this impact the body politic? Well, I think what uh, I actually think it cements Michal Martin's uh, role as leader of Fianna Fáil because uh, if you're a strategist, you realise elections do turn on those uh, TV debates between the leaders, right? And you have now in Fine Gael somebody who is going to be an absolutely brilliant performer in a TV debate. Better than Kenny? Oh, no comparison. Uh, you, you know, could you imagine how, how different the world would be? Fine Gael wouldn't even exist had uh, had Enda performed well in the 2007 debates. Uh, Bertie Hearn won those, uh, won a very important debate, etc. Got a surprise victory. Uh, had Fine Gael won in 2007, they probably would have been wiped out now, right? So it's just amazing that the, the slings and arrows of, of, of fortune. Do you think it's good for me, Olmar? Yes, it is, because if I was sort of even though there is that age gap and even though there's that baggage, uh, you will have to have an absolutely brilliant debater up against uh, Leo Varadkar. You know? And that's the one mistake I think Fine Gael made. They should have had Simon and Leo uh, do a few live TV debates I mean, cause, because it's just like you know, actually, going into the championship, a have a good deba- national a league run. A live TV debate between Michal Martin is very good in election campaigns. He did and well in the live, last campaign. Yes, he's, and, and he's very good on radio, on television. He is so the a, best. a debate between Leo Varadkar and Michal he's Martin would be one worth watching. Well, but, but the question, question, just a what, text like, question. What are they debating? You know, when you consider again where they lie and look what ideological or policy difference. Treated them, treated them. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, but, 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 but that's But that's exactly the point. A text for you. No, 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 no you, but that, uh, I, I just need to tell you, that's exactly the point. That yes, Micheál Martin will uh, take cuts at Sinn Féin uh, and so on. But look, at Sinn Féin have to watch the hard left. So Sinn Féin, he can go centrist, right? And, and he, but he's essentially trying to get back Fianna Fáil people who voted for Fine Gael uh, and, and that's very Just important for him you as well. Ga- so uh, he'll Gavin, be playing if Leo was so brilliant at the debates, why did he lose 65-35 with the party members asked Tom and Mayo? There, there are two totally different things. Uh, so just, I think that's a very good question. Um, Simon is the better orator and I heard him speaking at the Pendulum Summit two years ago for, for a, a man who claimed, and I've had a confirmed sense, who had a bad stammer in his teenage years. He is to be commended. He was absolutely brilliant at oratory, which is a different thing. And that is talking to your own people and, uh, you know, inspiring them. And he had, in Ballinasloe, he had a talk about the West of Ireland and he took a great cut at Leo, uh, saying you know, Leo calls it the regions. <laughs> you know, uh, and things like that. In Carlo, his talk was all about agriculture. Who's the better person as Taoiseach? So, I could, I, I had no doubt he was going to win uh, the party. And I think that's good okay. for Fine Gael in the way that Before he, he didn't lose break. face, right? We, but, but as regards debating, no, as regards coming here, opposite an awful person like you, Ivan, could I you know. imagine? Leo Leo will be He'll your be match. Uh, Leo will be, be your match, uh, okay. uh, as would Michal Martin I want to discuss and it'll next make, week. It'll make for great radio and TV. OK, simple question to you all. When do you think the next election, general election, whether it's they're brought down or whether he goes to the country or it serves its full term, when do you think the next general election will be, each of you? I think we'll have another year. This time next year? I think so. Early summer of 18. Yeah, I'd really, I'd be... BSing you if I was claiming to give you an honest or informed answer here. I think it could be any time given uh, new Taoiseach, 
and, fluid. and all that. Very okay. fluid. Okay, you're nearly yeah. bad as the politicians not answering the question. Uh, Gavin? Uh, autumn 2018, because I think Leo Varadkar will have to, he'll get a bump in the polls, he has to confirm that that's right. He has to do a few things and sort out a few things if he's to win confidence. If he does that, then he's got a headwind Of course, the party's uh, already the got a bump in the polls over the last few mm. weeks, and you'd wonder how much that bump will have will will take from Leo's bump, if I could put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, my panel this morning are Alison O'Connor, Dermot Ferrisher and Gavin Duffy. Ivan has been consistently contrarian, saying the election will be this year on both sides of the British Sea. We will be focusing on next Thursday and what's going to happen in Britain next. Uh, Britain goes to the polls. Uh, they didn't have to go till 2020. Theresa May went to get in a stronger mandate. I don't know what the hell is happening. I'm convinced uh, UK are on the verge of a major recession. Uh, retail sales worst uh, for this month, so this year in seven years. Property prices starting to fall in London. Dermot, the idea that the cor- political corpse that was Corbyn and now seems to be within, you know, a couple of points of the Tories. Is it that Theresa May is an ice-cold maiden that people have rejected? That the arrogant pitch of the Tories... What the hell is happening in it the It is UK? the arrogance. It is the arrogance. Theresa May and her handers decided that this was going to be run as a presidential campaign, that she would stay above the fray, that she had such an impregnable lead that they didn't need to get down and dirty. Uh, it's completely backfired. She's been exposed as being arrogant. Uh, she traded on the idea that she was the bloody difficult woman, which had been meant as an insult by uh, one of her political opponents. She was trying to make that a strength. Um, so I think that image has been tarnished, this idea that she is very uh, strong and, and stubborn. And, you know, sending out her home secretary in her place for a debate between the party leaders was pathetic. And I think really exposed the strategy. And you've got to remember, for all of the talk about the lead that she had at the outset, British politics is quite volatile at the moment. You know, you would have predicted, for example, that this would be a perfect opportunity for the Lib Dems to bounce back given the concerns about Mm -hmm. Brexit. This election supposedly about Brexit hasn't been about Brexit at all. And then you have Corbyn, who is clearly very popular with younger voters. The key question, of course, is going to be whether they actually turn out to vote. But Corbyn suddenly is not seeming like the almost uh, farcical figure that some were depicting him as. And his very laid-back style, you know, Monsieur Zen and all that, uh, (laughs) seems to be paying dividends. Uh, And his election manifesto, despite some predictions that it was going to uh, be, you know, political suicide... Um, has so, actually so, generated so, so, uh, where do quite you, a lot of enthusiasm. Where do you all think that we'll be on Friday? I like, think the, t- the Tories t- went in with 330, yeah. Labour 229. Where will yeah. we end up? I mean, the, the, the Labour Party could end up gaining 30 or 40 seats and the Conservatives losing that many. So, yes, the likelihood is Theresa May will win, but she's going to be badly damaged in the process. And it's not good news for us. No, in Alison. hindsight, I suppose you could say there's a consistency here in that, you know, you'd have to look at Theresa May and her handling of Brexit and the negotiations and the team that she has appointed around her. And you could see that running through, if you like, the election campaign in that seriously unimpressive on Brexit, not seeming to know quite, you know, what she's at and what she's doing and what and what note to strike. And and all those those themes, if you like, are are, are coming up again in, in the general election campaign. And for me, it's been very hard to summon up any enthusiasm for this campaign, just as an observer for the pure, pure sport of the election, because... Britain has done so much in the last in the time since the Brexit campaign that is so damaging to us as a country you were talking there about a, a massive recession in London that of course will, will impinge back on us and the fact that this election was called to be about Brexit and that they've hardly discussed it you just feel like saying 
What in the name of Jesus yeah. are you at over is there? Like, they a, do is, know their arse from their elbow. And Michael McDowell writes about this on the back of the Sunday Business Post today saying that if you make the issue Brexit, but don't say to the people what a good Brexit outcome is, mm. and we can't tell you any detail about it, yeah. Seems to be pretty flawed Tory strategy. Look, it's my take on this is we're looking at uh, have been it's been clear from early days when she took over this is going to be if she remains in place a projectile vomit Brexit, and we are in serious trouble. And as long as she's there and continues the way she has begun, if that's if she's consistent in that, it's major trouble. Could I just add to that, Gavin, from a business perspective? I know, you know, when sterling went from 76 pence to 85 pence, if it's heading to 92 pence, you know, if Britain have a nervous breakdown now, it will have, irrespective of Brexit, huge impact on us in mm. terms of imports and exports. Yeah, I, I think every business in Ireland has been having difficulties in exports to the UK. It's not Brexit, because Brexit hasn't happened yet. It's that uh, sterling euro differential is just uh, killing businesses. So if it's going to get worse, uh, it's it's just a, a, a shocking uh, future. Uh, and that, that looks like an immediate future for us, just you know when we're beginning to try and uh, firm up our, our recovery. Look, you're asking, will you know how will the election go on on on, on the eighth? What's first of all shocking is uh, the opinion polls don't seem to be able to agree. You know, they they've now finding different ways of polling people uh, to to give them an excuse or an out. So you know, uh, the Conservatives are twelve points ahead in one and only one point ahead in it. Like that, <laughs> that is some margin of error, uh, Ivan. Here's just a simple fact of life. Theresa May has lost this election. Now, she might still end up in government as Prime Minister, but her credibility is shot. We didn't know her when she became leader of uh, the Tories. We knew she was well-respected. Yeah, she was the difficult woman to deal with. We thought she was going... She doesn't even have a view or a vision on Brexit. Uh, she has no idea of where she's leading the British people to, except she keeps coming out with this uh, line, you've got to honour, you know, the, 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 the vote of, of, of the people and so on and, you know, be, be true to democracy and all of that. But, uh, and Jeremy Corbyn, as we all said, you know, started out, I, I'm old enough, I was comparing him in my head to a Michael Foote character. Mm. He is anything but, and he's grown in stature throughout. So look, at let's say... Even if the Tories get back and they're down to 30 seats, having lost 60, 65 seats, right, which would be disastrous, right? Um, but, like, even if they do, Jeremy Corbyn is now strengthened in his role as leader and uh, Theresa May is damaged goods. More importantly, as the owner of LMFM, who are you for today? Lee their mouth in, in Parnell Park? Yeah, that's always a difficult one for my family and thank you for asking. Get off the But fence. my nephew, Bevan, is playing for Loud so obviously uh, we're all cheering for Loud and uh, and I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's I'll be in Parnell Park. It's going to be a close one. The Royals are licking. Don't worry. No, no, Gavin no. Duffy, entrepreneur, businessman and open to host any debates I'd say for a corporate <laughs> fee uh, Dermot Ferriter <laughs> Professor of Modern History at UCD and the inimitable Alison O'Connor columnist and lots of other things with the Irish Examiner thank you for being my guests on Yates on Sunday Yates on Sunday on News Talk brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy proud to power businesses all over Ireland energy at work for you